Hello and welcome to the 100 Day Writing Challenge, day 61. Okay, so yesterday we opened up the colossal and intimidating gun locker that is plot. I very deliberately, very jarringly placed it right after memoir because often when we write about our own lives we think of them as being this shapeless hairball of events that just happened. But actually, we're always imposing a shape on life. Always. We exclude some bits, we emphasise others. I mean, you wouldn't painstakingly include every single bowel movement you've had since birth, right? Not even in summary? Why? Well, you probably can't remember them all, so that's an acknowledgement of your being an unreliable narrator for a start. Two, you probably don't think it would be very interesting or revelatory. And that's probably true, by the way. I'm not calling storytelling deception. Neither am I making a case that poos should be front and centre in every grand narrative. I'm just saying that even life writing requires creation and deletion. To tell a story inescapably is to take a moral stance. Even if that moral stance is pooing is yucky and gross and has no place in your biography of Anne Boleyn. Sir, there's not a real rejection letter I've had but I wish it was. So yesterday you were coming up with those little plot shapes. A wants, but so. Four clauses. I'll admit now it's not a classic plot structure. It's more a formula for creating a blurb. But I do feel, and you may have sensed this when you wrote yours yesterday, it's missing a final piece. For it's a really feel like a blurb and I, I realize uh, this is kind of moving into when something doesn't feel quite the right shape sometimes that's because we're kind of moving into the area of cliche and sometimes cliches are good and sometimes they're bad sometimes they're just useful though right they're useful for plotting stuff out doesn't mean I'm kind of approving of them doesn't mean I'm saying you have to use them just saying they can be useful ways of expanding our thinking they can be little templates and shapes because you you kind of want in a blurb a wants b but C opposes them, C being a person or an event. So A attempts D. As a consequence, E. You know, what the formula is missing, really, our original formula, was the, the repercussions of the protagonist's attempt to extricate themselves from their original predicament. And I think the reason why we kind of, like, instinctively want that is this concept of the original predicament is also what you might have heard called the inciting incident. It's the problem, the conflict, the wrinkle that kicks the whole story into motion. Actually, my A wants but so formula is in many ways a sort of mini structure for act one of your story and, and the final part of act one really needs to be the thing the protagonist does to solve the initial problem actually means everything gets worse now this can play out in a bunch of ways sometimes their attempted solution really is a suboptimal one you know they embark on an ill-conceived ruse pretending to be someone they're not and they get in over their heads and make things a lot worse you know they agree to do the task put to them and now they're on the hook for something dangerous they can't possibly achieve they ignore the call for action they don't respond to this call to action. They go, no, I'm not going to go on the adventure. And things get worse. Sometimes the protagonist's response is cool and super competent and everything you could have want. But in resolving that problem, they either discover a new one or draw the attention of a much worse threat. Our hero defeats the marauding goblins only to find the goblins were only raiding the town because they'd been driven from their usual scavenging scavenging grounds by a strange encroaching corruption that is turning the land to ash or 
When the protagonist drives a gang of soldiers demanding tithes out of the village, word gets back to the Eben Duke, who controls them that the people of the South grow rebellious and refuse to pay tribute, so he sends one of his most experienced lieutenants to make an example of them. Like, the old SNES game, Chrono Trigger, has a great first act, right, where the characters accidentally go back in time, and Princess Marl is mistaken for her ancestor, who it just so happens at that time, has been kidnapped and everyone's looking at them. So you have to go and find Miles' ancestor because the search has now been called off. They think they found her, right? Oh, here she is, but that's Marl, which means you've changed the past and now Miles' ancestor will never be found because they've stopped looking for her because they think they have her. So Marl will never be born and so she won't exist either. Oh, no. But here's the thing. Once you save Marl and you escape through a time portal, you find yourself... Having, you know, solved that problem, you find yourself in a far-flung future where the world has been destroyed. And you realise that you have much, much bigger problems than simply saving your friend. A cataclysmic event is coming, and you're the only people who know about it. I think a great blurb normally includes everything up to the reveal of the larger crisis at the end of the first act. I want to say it's another but... But A wants but, so but sounds even less elegant than the original. And I don't think it's necessarily a contradiction of the so part of what came before. It's more an inevitable consequence. It's kind of like a legacy of that, right? Maybe the last two pieces we're looking at when we're writing this is uh, our when and will. So uh, I'll give you some examples. Let's return to those examples I came up with yesterday. Darnian Greypelt, a misanthropic trapper living alone in the Godskill Mountains, wants to be left alone. But a royal delegation comes seeking his help with a pack of weird jackals plaguing the city and they won't take no for an answer. So Darnian reluctantly goes with them and discovers the world has changed much in the 20 years since he abandoned civilization. When an encounter in the catacombs beneath the Le Crozier Sanatorium nearly brings down half the eastern ward, the old hermit begins to question his loyalties. Will he abandon the strange tribe of children waging war from the city's sewers? Or is Darnian finally ready to face the past he, he thought he had escaped forever? Harriet, an elderly woman and retired demon hunter, wants the molten heart of Carrock, Duke of Agony, for her collection. But her daughter insists she go on a spa holiday instead. So she heads to the mountain resort of Umbral Springs, only to discover a strange sect taking the brimstone-scented waters. When a new friend, the softly spoken antiques book dealer Stavian, goes missing, she suspects she, he is in danger and begins investigating. Will Harriet be able to uncover the mystery behind Umbral Springs' legendary nine pools of rejuvenation before it's too late, or will the arrival of her daughter's busybody in-laws ruin everything? So that's A wants but, so when will. Duchess Rothermere, leader of Brandia, an independent nation-state that finds itself enclosed by empires on the verge of war, wants to live long enough to see the pear blossom fall from a tree, from the tree in the grounds of the government compound where she grew up. But with the peace summit taking place in three days' time and agents on all sides keen to see talks fail, she's not even sure if she'll survive till dinner. So she decides to turn to the disgraced guild of mind shapers, who her late father banned from holding positions in government 30 years ago, for help. 
When the peace summit begins, however, the perception-altering enhancements the Guild cast on her grant her disturbing visions of a future in which Brandia is reduced to smouldering ash, a future wish which, the visions tell her, is preventable only if she is willing to take some drastic steps. Will the Duchess give in to ruthlessness for the sake of her people, or could this be a vengeful ruse on behalf of the Mindshapers to destroy Brandia's last chance of peace? You get the idea, right? So I'd like you to take the synopses you wrote yesterday, and if for whatever reason you only got one or you didn't manage any, any, then you can use some of this time to have another go at building one today. But I'd like you to add those final two pieces to the plot. When and will. So it's A, something, wants something, but something, so, something, when, something, will, something. Get it? You can write it down if you want. I'll just repeat it one last time. A wants, but so when will. <sighs> right, you've got 10 minutes. If you finish all the ones you've written, you can either start new ones or you could try writing multiple possibilities for the same one, testing out different paths. Like I've said before, the beauty of doing lists, right, is to stop you getting into this mindset that you're trying to uncover the one true story. There are loads of stories. Uh, I think that just always helps when you're writing. You're not trying to find... It's really good to not think of yourself from the perspective of someone in the future. You know, like that. There, there's this kind of canonical book that you're trying to uncover, like an archaeologist with working their little brush, trying not to break pieces. There are so many stories and they are all equally brilliant. And that kind of um, mentality of abundance really comes out when you write lists and realise there's oh, so many choices and they're all good. Right, ready? Three, two, one, go.
and that's it well done now to be clear once you've used this suggested shape absolutely feel free to go back and tweak the wording you don't have to start each clause with so or when or whatever but what i would say is if you're sending someone you know an agent or an editor a first page pitch i'd never make it longer than this i think this is plenty Pitching anxiety is one of the most common things I see on the internet. I sometimes get emails about it, you know, when it comes to people talking about writing. Oh, how should I describe my book? How many words should I use? What book should I compare it to? Uh, how do you write a query letter? My main response is these things do not fucking matter. I, 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 I don't know how many times I can say it. I don't know how many ways I can say it. I know I am just um one person pissing into the great hurricane of supposed uh, writing experts telling you otherwise. But listen, these things, if you trust me at all, trust me now, these things do not fucking matter. I've never known how to do any of them. I've never learned. I've never got any aptitude in them. I've never done them, right? I've never really done them. I, I, I just sent out emails literally saying, hey, I did a book. Do you want to see it? Not any more like complicated than that. Um, the same when I started pitching to newspapers and stuff. For ages, I've been writing these like elaborate kind of like, dear sir, madam. And in the end, I just sent emails. Someone said, oh, just sound like you're really busy because professionals are busy. They don't send long kind of like forelock tugging apologetic emails. They just go, hi, I've got this article on this. Do you want it? That's it. <laughs> right? Because you're busy, because you're a professional, because you don't there's never a thought in your head that you wouldn't get accepted right look and i'm published at the end of the day right because people and I, the reason is not because of my email etiquette it's because people like the novel when i sent it right you don't have to be clever or write some secret code that will make agents look at your work it's not a trap or a trick or anything look any talk that it is is mostly you know here's the formula for writing your query that is just hocus pocus made up by people who can't get their work read to explain to themselves why no one likes it and they start i mean if you want to get your work published right and it's such a tiny part of writing i really won't worry about getting published or anything it's not it, it, it's this tiny adjunct to the craft of like making stories but if you want to if you ever decide you'd like to try that'd be fun spend 100% of your time making your work good don't ever give a shit about secret publishing industry etiquette or handshakes or what's the magic font that will get your work read or here's the five biggest mistakes people make in their query letter or whatever no one gives a shit literally no one gives a shit certainly no one who you're going to have to care about whether they read your work or not gives a shit, right? All, all anyone wants are rad stories that will sell. That's it. You could submit in, you could submit in green crayon on the back of a Chili's menu and it wouldn't matter if your story rocked, right? Similarly, if you haven't got, done a good job on your novel and most people who submit haven't, right? That's the problem. Most people who submit have not. You, you can do all... Being an incredible stickler for these imaginary standards will only... All it will do is throw your shitty prose into stark relief. It, it, that's all it will do. It, it's just like a child turning up to a bar in like a top hat and spats and a frigging dinner jacket and trying to get served, right? They'll go, oh, well, you are very well dressed, so maybe I won't ask you for ID. It just makes you look more like a child. Just don't worry about it. Most how to get published advice on the internet is a cargo cult. It's people doing rituals they don't understand in the belief that copying them will confer some of their power. And it just doesn't work like that. 
But I digress. This isn't a course about how to get published. It's a course about how to write. What matters is you, your sovereignty and writing being a place of joy and replenishment, something you can come back to every day and experience growth within. Publishing has some great people working in it. I'm not criticising individuals, but it's also largely, you know, a load of old nonsense. You don't need anyone else's approval, ever. You know, you're awesome. Inherently fantastic. Here you are, you're turning up and you're producing work no one has ever produced before. That's miraculous. Admirable. Wow. In any case, our voyage into the handy shortcuts of plot continues tomorrow. For now, take care of yourself and I'll see you then. The 100 Day Writing Challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.